during this time of uncertainty, there are so many things we wish we knew. Scientists, public health officials, doctors and nurses, and many political leaders are all trying their best to ensure that we as a country and a people are as safe and healthy as we can be. Yet there are still so many unknowns about where this pandemic will take our world and our country. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's overwhelming. And sometimes we just don't know what to think or feel. Try and take comfort in these words by Thomas Merton. You do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it's all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. Take a moment and breathe in deeply. Let it out. Breathe in again. Let it out. As we move into our silent meditation, I welcome you to consider what possibility is offered by this present moment. Just think of one possibility, one potentially positive possibility. While we aren't able to embrace each other, we can certainly take a moment to fully embrace our thought and to give that thought the time, love, and care that it needs to deeply seed any courage, faith, or hope. You do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. Be gentle with yourselves, dear ones. Embrace your nurturing presence that you hold inside yourself. Breathe. Friends, it's good to be here in this weird, sacred digital space with you in the way that we are learning to understand togetherness. Last week, I was seeing a lot of jokes on Facebook about how introverts have been preparing for social distancing their whole lives. I represent that remark. And yet, this is not really the introvert fantasy I had imagined, even if we don't take the virus into account. My house is full. My house is very full. It is full of people. And have you seen my kids? They're nearly full-grown people. It's full of dogs. My own fault, to be sure, and something that is often wonderful. And... It is full of a lot of other things, too. It's full of food for the moment. It's full of schoolwork for three of the four of us. It is full of art projects and books and a great deal of learning how to do things differently. It is also full of uncertainty, full of anxiety. So 
many plans have changed. So many habits need to be learned. So much data that is so very scary. So many questions that don't have answers and so many people suffering. And if you weren't feeling the weight of it this morning, I suspect you are now, and I'm sorry about that. That was not my intention. My intention, however, is to give words to what is happening for so many of us. I think that's important, giving it words, calling it what it is. Last week, as we were driving here to stream the service, I guess I was quiet, and Scott asked me what I was thinking about. I answered that it was just one big amorphous blob. It was just one big mass of, I don't like it. I then listed more specific things that I don't like about our current situation. Okay, I listed a lot of things that I don't like about our situation. I let go of anything that told me not to complain. I let go of anything that told me to suck it up. I let go of any judgment about what that annoyance, discomfort, and every other feeling might say about me. And I just gave words to the discontent. It was such a relief. And I tell myself that my having created that space for judgment-free complaining, I made it possible for my wonderful spouse to give words to some of the things he was struggling with as well. Contrary to some of the wisdom you'll find out there, giving air to our negative feelings that we had been holding inside didn't make us feel worse. It also didn't inspire the universe to create worse things for us. It just let us put words to things that feel hard, and that was good. It has been my experience that everything hard I've ever felt or dealt with has been made worse by my unwillingness to just feel it, to acknowledge it, to accept it no matter what my inner voice or my culture tells me I should do. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to live afraid. I don't want all of our decisions at every level to be made out of fear. But what I believe is that if everyone made a little room for the fear that we actually do feel, we would all feel a little better and it would be easier to think more clearly. And this is not just my opinion. It is at the heart of every system of thought that encourages us to accept ourselves. It is what is potent about practices like observing ourselves and offering ourselves self-compassion. Experiencing your feelings cleanly is a fundamental expression of who you are, and I believe it is therefore sacred. I don't want to feel afraid. It's yucky. It's also just a feeling. And I can have hard feelings. I can do hard things. When I feel that fear building 
And I can, instead of stuffing it down, simply allow myself the grace to sit with it for a moment. I feel more whole. And my house can feel a little less full because I've done my part to clear it out a little. May we all find space for grace for ourselves and all the ways we feel in this difficult time. Good morning. My favorite Facebook post this week said something like, I wasn't prepared to give up quite so much for Lent this year. <laughs> and while I'm on board with social distancing, like many of you, I've been restless. On the mild end of things, my usual routines have been disrupted. On the not-so-mild end, my future livelihood is very much uncertain. Knowing that this is exactly what 99% of the planet is living with currently, it helps. Kind of. But I am still anxious, and more often I am finding my thoughts far afield. My now-what thoughts give way to the what-if thoughts about the future chased by if-only thoughts about the past. Back and forth, like a pendulum. The media has been all too happy to feed my discomfort. A couple of days ago, I read this news article. The point was, you should stay calm and carry on. It's rather British. The article made a reference also to something that sounded vaguely biblical, and being a nerd, I went and looked it up. Turns out it was not biblical, but may well be rooted in stories from the same era as the Old Testament writers. There are several versions of this story. One is Jewish, and it goes kind of like this. One day, King Solomon decided to humble one of his ministers. He gave him an impossible task. Go find a magic ring. The minister, being bold but not wise, quickly agreed, but he did ask how he would know it when he found it. Solomon told him it has magic powers. If a happy person looks at it, they become sad. And if a sad person looks at it, they become happy. The minister searched the known world and months later returned to Solomon to present his magic ring. As soon as Solomon read the inscription, he knew his minister had done the impossible. The inscription on the ring read, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Good times come and go. So do hard times. High valuations in the stock market come and go, and so will social distancing. It's a good lesson, and this long view perspective can keep us humble in our triumphs and grateful during our trials. I believe that this is what Solomon saw in his ring. We have given up a lot, and there are a lot of unknowns still ahead. Maybe in this time of anxiety, knowing that it will pass will bring you some comfort. If it's not a comfort, that's okay. 
There are a great many things we are being asked to surrender, and it feels like a lot is out of our hands. Yet even with the fear, the uncertainty, and doubt, even with the dismay, and the anger, and the guilt, what I want to remind you of as we reflect on the story of Solomon's ring is that while change is inevitable, change doesn't mean we're powerless. In her book, Parable of the Sower, science fiction author Octavia Butler offers us this. Change is the one unavoidable, irresistible, ongoing reality of the universe. To us, that makes it the most powerful reality. And just another word for God. For Butler's hero, that meant that humanity had an obligation toward the inevitability of change. We should surrender when we must, but when we can, whenever we can, our job was to seize opportunity and do something with it, to shape it. And that is my invitation this morning, to see something else in the chaos, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, to do something else. But don't take it from me. Take it from these two great and wise masters, and their, maybe their words will resonate with you. The first I want you to hear is the Dalai Lama who told us there are only two days in the year that nothing can be done. One is called yesterday and the other is called tomorrow. Today is the right day to love, believe, do, and mostly live. The second is Master Ugwe of the 2008 movie Kung Fu Panda. Master Ugwe tried to show us the way when he taught us all, yesterday is history, tomorrow a mystery, but today is a gift, and that is why it is called the present. The gift of today may not be quite the gift you were hoping for, but what if we see it as a gift nonetheless? What will we do with it? Surrender what we must. Change what we can. Know that this uncertainty, this time of trial, this too shall pass. In the meantime, let us live today and celebrate the gift we have, this weird and awesome day. Amen. The other night, I turned on YouTube to keep me company. There was a live stream of a concert. There was another live stream of an artist painting and talking about their work. There was another live stream of someone reading a book aloud. The artist Lizzo has performed classical flute meditation pieces live on Instagram. The Indigo Girls live streamed a show to tens of thousands online. American Celtic punk band, the Dropkick Murphys, did a live show from a Boston soundstage for their traditional St. Patrick's Day show, allowing that annual tradition to continue in a new fashion for over 320,000 audience members who watched and sang along. One fan emailed the band to say that they were in a wheelchair, traveling was a challenge, and it was the first time they'd ever been able to attend one of the Dropkick Murphys St. Patrick's Day shows. Perhaps you've seen the videos of folks singing to each other from their quarantine windows, 
or the folks who all work out together in the morning separately on the terraces outside of their apartments, the students who synced up their singing from their separate devices at home once their choral competition was canceled due to the pandemic, art hanging in windows, art chalked on sidewalks. Across the world, people are picking up their guitars or their latch hook projects, trying new recipes, thinking about school in a whole new way. The beautiful images of our own kids at play, at work, at joy, at art, in our new world. Make no mistake, as if any of us could, it is a new world. It feels hard and unsettling and scary to not know quite what this new world will be. As I looked for comfort, for solace, for inspiration during this first full week of physical distancing, once again, I turned to poetry. What does 13th century Sufi mystic Rufi have to offer, uh, have to, have to offer us in the face of the 21st century global pandemic? Quite a lot. Keep walking, though there's no place to get to. Don't try to see through the distances. That's not for human beings. Move within, but don't move the way fear makes you move. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Don't, take, don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Keep Walking by Rumi. Don't move the way fear makes you move. We cannot see through these distances, my friends. In the face of real despair, sickness, death, job loss, physical separation and its mental health tolls, fear and loneliness, in that face, what can be done to keep ourselves well, to keep ourselves connected, to remind ourselves again and again that we are more than our jobs and more than our stuff, more than our fear and more than our frustration. We may be separate, but we are still whole. Whole people presented with the unique opportunity to let the beauty we love be what we do. If justice is what love looks like in public, then art may be the best prism of public humanity. Whether we create it or enjoy it, we bring all of ourselves to art. Art brings us to tears of joy and sorrow. When we are physically separate from the best of being human together, let us create and enjoy its public loving face. Do music, do art, do kindness, do human, do love. The world has a new BC, before coronavirus.
before COVID-19. We begin together now, creating the art of the world that is to come. We light together the path toward our world's new AD, after disease, after despair, after distancing. I look forward to meeting you there. So may it be. The other night, I turned on YouTube to keep me company. There was a live stream of a concert. There was another live stream of an artist painting and talking about their work. There was another live stream of someone reading a book aloud. The artist Lizzo has performed classical flute meditation pieces live on Instagram. The Indigo Girls live streamed a show to tens of thousands online. American Celtic punk band, the Dropkick Murphys, did a live show from a Boston soundstage for their traditional St. Patrick's Day show, allowing that annual tradition to continue in a new fashion for over 320,000 audience members who watched and sang along. One fan emailed the band to say that they were in a wheelchair, traveling was a challenge, and it was the first time they'd ever been able to attend one of the Dropkick Murphys St. Patrick's Day shows. Perhaps you've seen the videos of folks singing to each other from their quarantine windows, or the folks who all work out together in the morning, separately, on the terraces outside of their apartments. The students who synced up their singing from their separate devices at home once their choral competition was canceled due to the pandemic. Art hanging in windows, art chalked on sidewalks. Across the world, people are picking up their guitars or their latch hook projects, trying new recipes, thinking about school in a whole new way. The beautiful images of our own kids at play, at work, at joy, at art, in our new world. Make no mistake, as if any of us could, it is a new world. It feels hard and unsettling and scary to not know quite what this new world will be. As I looked for comfort, for solace, for inspiration during this first full week of physical distancing, once again, I turned to poetry. What does 13th century Sufi mystic Rufi have to offer, uh, have to, have to offer us in the face of the 21st century global pandemic? Quite a lot. Keep walking, though there's no place to get to. Don't try to see through the distances. That's not for human beings. Move within, but don't move the way fear makes you move. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Don't take don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love 
be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Keep walking by Rumi. Don't move the way fear makes you move. We cannot see through these distances, my friends. In the face of real despair, sickness, death, job loss, physical separation and its mental health tolls, fear and loneliness. In that face, what can be done to keep ourselves well, to keep ourselves connected, to remind ourselves again and again that we are more than our jobs and more than our stuff, more than our fear and more than our frustration. We may be separate, but we are still whole. Whole people presented with the unique opportunity to let the beauty we love be what we do. If justice is what love looks like in public, then art may be the best prism of public humanity. Whether we create it or enjoy it, we bring all of ourselves to art. Art brings us to tears of joy and sorrow. When we are physically separate from the best of being human together, let us create and enjoy its public loving face. Do music, do art, do kindness, do human, do love. The world has a new BC before coronavirus, before COVID-19. We begin together now, creating the art of the world that is to come. We light together the path toward our world's new AD, after disease, after despair, after distancing. I look forward to meeting you there. So may it be. I want to be honest with you. There are a lot of scary headlines out there. I know you know what I'm talking about. But even though we can't control the state of the world, I'd like to invite us to spend just a little time this morning on reflecting on what we do have more control over, the ways that we respond to the news, whatever it is. A simple framework that has stuck with me in recent years is from the psychologist Rick Hansen. Some of you may know his books. They're all excellent. Uh, Buddha's Brain is probably the most uh, well-known. I recommend them to you. Uh, for now, I invite you to imagine that you are in a car sitting at a traffic stoplight. And we all know that green means go and red means stop. Dr. Hansen has adapted that color coding for noticing 
what is happening with us? What is happening with the state of our minds? Are we in a kind of a go place? Are we in a red? We need to stop. Do you all know that term WAIT, uh, the acronym Why Am I Talking, W-A-I-T? When you're in red, WAIT, why am I talking? Because when we feel safe and connected and centered, it's easier to respond skillfully to any problem that arises, any good or bad headline in the news. When we're relaxed, when we're open, we're more able to be creative, to draw from the fullness of our inner resources, allowing our best selves to emerge. That's what Dr. Hansen calls our green responsive mode. In contrast, if we feel threatened and anxious or discombobulated from all the chaos and change around us, it can be easy to downshift into red reactive mode and to then lash out at anything that triggers us. To get a little nerdy about it, as you know that I like to do, when we're in red reactive mode, it's, it's our amygdala. It's those two almond-shaped uh, clusters of densely packed neurons that are at the temporal lobes of our brain. Uh, when we're uh, in the red reactive mode, the amygdala has taken over. Uh, the amygdala controls instinctual responses. It's been called the fight or flight, the have sex with it or kill it part of our brains. When we're deeply in red reactive mode, we are primarily acting, um, reacting on base animal instinct. So by no means am I saying, however, that we should all just try to like exercise, ex, you know, excise our amygdalas, that this evolutionary, this evolutionary inheritance can save our life in a true high threat situation. But it can also cause us to exist in a state, a state of ratcheted up anxiety 24-7. I think some of you probably can feel where I'm coming from. When we're in red reactive mode, we're not in our prefrontal cortex. We're back in our lizard brain, our brainstem. It's taken over and it prevents us from having access to these more highly evolved access um, parts of ourselves that give us tools like compassion and clarity and equanimity and concentration and so much more. So if you're finding yourself lately spending just a little too much time in red reactive mode, right now just take a deep breath in and let it go. Let go as much as available for you to let go right now. And that taking a breath in or out, that's available to you um, whenever it rises to your awareness next time you find yourself in red reactive mode. Offer yourself as well some gentleness, some kindness, some compassion. You've been going through a lot lately. We've all been going through a lot lately. Let's be gentle with ourselves, gentle and kind with one another and with this world. I invite you to notice in the coming days and maybe even spend some time reflecting over the last seven to ten days what are the people, the places, the things, the activities that most regularly incline your heart and your mind toward a green, responsive mode? And what are the people, places, things, and activities that most regularly incline your heart and mind to a red, reactive mode? 
You may not be able to eliminate all of those red stressors in your life. I would be surprised if you could for such a time as this. But can you be more intentional about getting more of those green people and green things and activities into your life so that when those red things inevitably do arise, you have a greater capacity to stay in um, responsive mode? Sometimes, as we did just a few moments ago, it can be as simple as taking a deep breath in and out. Or even try physically placing a hand on your heart. You can do that right now. Inclining yourself back toward heartfulness. You hear a lot about people talking about mindfulness, but heartfulness is equally important. Here's a quote from the meditation teacher, Jack Cornfield. Tune in to your heart. That's where love and grace and compassion and wisdom reside. With loving attention, feel into what matters most to you. When you're all ratcheted up and in that reactive mode, remember to feel into what still matters most to you. Yes, there are anxious thoughts. Yes, there's grief and there is trauma. But this is how he ends it. Don't let your heart be colonized by fear. I love that part. Don't let your heart be colonized by fear. Fear will arise, but practice letting it go. And it's a practice. It'll take some time, but practice letting it go. Don't let fear set up shop and permanently move in and colonize you. When we're afraid, fear can feel like the only thing there's ever going to be in the world. If that's happening, a significant first step is just noticing your fear. Simple mindfulness, just noting, oh, there is fear. Just noting that, there is fear. That simple act of noticing and naming, that can just give us a little space between being fully caught up and witnessing our fear. From there, one practice that I'll leave you with that's been useful for me is inclining my mind and heart towards spaciousness. At this time when we're, many of us are locked in, inclining our heart towards spaciousness, intentionally zooming out to put my fear or my anxiety in a larger context. If you're open to it, I'll show you what I mean with a very short guided meditation. It's adapted from one of my teachers, Emily Horn, uh, when we put this uh, sermon manuscript in our archive. I'll include a link to a 10-minute version from Emily. So if you're comfortable, I invite you to settle in just a little bit more wherever you are right now. If it's possible for you in this moment, sit down, um, sit up a little straighter uh, so that you are relaxed but alert. Put your feet on the floor if that's possible for you. Rest your hands in your lap. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so. Relax your shoulders, relax any part of you that feels like it needs to relax, and take a deep breath in and let it go. Begin by noticing, just feeling into the spaciousness of the room that you're in. You don't even have to open your eyes. Just allow yourself to feel into the sense the experience of sensing that the room that you're in, however large, however small, it is bigger than you are. And now seeing if you can allow that sense of spaciousness to grow, zoom out a little more. 
imagine the sky above you. And now zoom out just a little further still, imagining the expanse of space that extends beyond the sky. Whatever is arising in your field of awareness in this moment, body sensations, breathing, feeling, thoughts, allow it all to come and go just like the clouds in the sky. As the saying goes, you don't have to believe everything you think. You don't have to hold on to every feeling that you feel. Awareness holds it all. Just release and let go, float into that. No need to do anything. Nothing to do. Nowhere to go. Maybe there is a sense that you need to do something, a desire to do something. Notice that that too can arise and pass within this vast spaciousness of awareness. Surrendering in this moment just a little more to awareness. And as you're ready, I invite you to return your attention to the room that you were in. But know that this practice of zooming out and then zooming back in, inclining your heart and mind towards spaciousness, that is always available to you. So it doesn't have to be right now, though it can be, but I invite you, if, if what we are doing here is of value to you, if you want to sustain UUCF through this as we seek to sustain others, to build spiritual growth and beloved community and peace and justice for such a time as this, and so that we can still be here AD after disease, as Jen said, that I invite you to consider a one-time or a recurring gift to UUCF. You can go to our homepage, frederickuu.org, and if you click on the give link of our website, click on that donate button, then you can, um, if it is possible for you for such a time as this, that if, if it is not, we are grateful for your engagement here, but you can click to make a one-time or a recurring donation, which can particularly help sustain us for such a time as this. We are grateful for your generosity, whatever that means for you in this season of your life. The offering will be gratefully received. And as you prepare to go from this place and into the week to come, may you continue your journey with love. Whether you're journeying just at home, continue your journey with love. Care for one another. Care for this one earth. Do justice. Make peace. And as you go, whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace, of joy, that goes with you out into the world or just in your home, wherever you are. We are different for having spent this time, even virtually, together. May you live boldly. May you live with thanksgiving. Friends, thank you so much. It was so good to connect with you all. You're all in my heart. Be gentle with yourselves in the coming weeks. Peace to you. Be well.